One of the hallmarks of any academic conference are the conversations that take place in between sessions, in the hallways, and over meals. In our first GeoThink conversations, we aim to give you a flavor of these discussions at GeoThink's now-concluded 2015 Summer Institute. This month's conversation features GeoThink head Renee Sieber, Associate Professor in McGill University's Department of Geography and School of Environment, Robert Goodspeed, Assistant Professor of Urban Planning at the University of Michigan's Taubman College of Architecture and Urban Planning, Darren Brabham, Assistant Professor in the University of Southern California, Annenberg School of Journalism and Communication, and Monica Stevens, Assistant Professor in the Department of Geography at State University of New York at Buffalo. And, of course, I'm Drew Bush, and I'll be helping steer the conversation along. Each day of the Institute, alternated morning lectures, panel discussions, and in-depth case studies on topics in crowdsourcing with afternoon work sessions where professors worked with student groups one-on-one -on, -one on their proposal to meet a challenge posed by the City of Ottawa. For more on the Institute, check out our website at geothink.ca. To start us off, Brabham gets the group rolling on what exactly defines the boundaries of crowdsourcing, the topic of many conversations overheard during the three-day conference. I think what I've, what I've seen is that there's definitely a different, different view on what crowdsourcing is, like what counts as crowdsourcing. And I think I've probably spent an inordinate amount of time in my career focused on building fences around what the concept is or should be, in my opinion. Um, I think, that, you know, I'm really, I'm softening as I, as I kind of move forward, and I kind of will present, yeah, this is the typology I've developed, and this is my definition, and this is what counts and what doesn't. But ultimately, the practitioners want to know so how do we use it, or so what does this mean, or what can we put it to use for? And I think um, at the end of the day, it's an esoteric scholarly distinction that I've kind of spent all this time making, and it doesn't mean a whole lot on the ground sometimes. You know, so for instance, I don't, I wouldn't consider bots or or sensors to necessarily be crowdsourcing because of the intent level, right? There's no human active engagement or intent in what they're doing. Um, but does how, how much does that matter to an actual organization? You know, an organization wants to gather data, it might make more sense to get people to turn a switch on on their phone and not think about it, and just walk around the park and gather data, or they want people to actually go actively report road conditions or whatever with their phones. Um, very different activities with the same outcome, right? You get to map and track um, information using technologies that happen to be on people, you know, with how much engagement they have is kind of the, the big question. So, if anything, I would say, over time, I've, I've gotten away from defending the boundaries so hard, um, but I still like to throw it out because I think it's provocative, and it pre creates interesting discussions about what, why we're studying this and what, what counts. Renee Sieber. I think one of the interesting things that emerged out of the combination of people who presented was that there is a difference between crowdsourcing and harnessing the crowd. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I think that a lot of governments, a lot of organizations that want to use crowdsourcing for whatever reason, think those two concepts are synonymous. So crowdsourcing could be looked at in the sen in, in a, I was going to say a narrow sense, but it might be broad in terms of the intent of the end user to contribute to something. But when you conflate that with harnessing the crowd, you bring in essentially web scraping. 
Yeah, you do Twitter data, yeah, all that stuff. Monica Stevens. When I, when I was talking about um, the bots contributing to Wikipedia, I was not claiming that that is crowdsourcing. I was claiming that this claim that Wikipedia is, to, is built by this crowdsourced public endeavor to create the sum of the world's knowledge isn't even creating the sum of the world's knowledge when there's this diversion away from crowdsourcing towards completeness, and that completeness is only provided by bots. That, that the labor force of humans, even when crowdsourced to a massive crowd, isn't sufficient to build Wikipedia, and that they need this algorithmic contributions as well, because, and that this is one of the hazards of trying to crowdsource, as you also said, uh, that one of the hazards is that you end up with other people contributing information who aren't necessarily as human. Yeah. And I think the, the more interesting question is really, um, I think the more interesting question is not necessarily what is or what isn't crowdsourcing or what, where does it count or not. I think it's the discourse about it, mm -hmm. right? It's the value that we put on, we're going to crowdsource this, and it's the world's knowledge. Or amateurs are doing this, and we know that they're mostly not amateurs a lot of right. times. So I think that's, if anything, it's the critical investigations to happen with how we in popular discourse talk about these tools and these methods. In the next part of the conversation, I keep it from getting too far over our heads by asking our participants to define crowdsourcing using real-world examples. So you're asking us to put up those walls <laughs> and that's, order off the That's what people want to hear. I guess I'll start with kind of the gospel according to Darren on this, which is I'm increasingly critical of every day, but... Um, you know, I would say crowdsourcing is, is this kind of deliberate, so there's intent involved, just people have to know that they're aware that they're doing it. Um, this deliberate mix of, of kind of bottom-up forces and, and top-down forces, so bottom-up in the sense that the people, the crowd, online in some sort of open way, um, bring their energy and their intellect and um, their time and their talent all together to solve some sort of problem which comes from the top-down. And so an organization actually says we need something done, it might be fairly specific, it might be fairly broad, although the more specific usually the better results. Um, and they say, you know, do this for us, or solve this problem, or do this work, and then the crowd responds. And so, I, to me, it's a, it's a meeting in the middle, an attention, um, a co-creative activity, um, instead of just um, citizens kind of come together and, and build their own thing without any sort of direction from, quote, the top. Um, it gets messy, though, because you look at something like OpenStreetMap or Wikimedia Foundation's uh, activities and, or Flickr or whatever it might be. These are immense, impressive castles that have been built, um, but no one kind of directed the work, but they self-directed. So it's not to say that they're not organized. Um, but anyway, I think that's where, I would, that's where I'd kind of throw it in the, the distinction. So, I don't know, I kind of uh, think Wikipedia is not crowdsourcing. But increasingly, it looks like it, right? Because the Wikipedians are very strict about what they will allow and what they dictate. And, and it's become kind of self-organized to the point where it's so organized, it does have, quote, a top that pushes down. So, I don't know. I mean, it gets, it's a great line. Robert Goodspeed. I, I think what's nice about um, Darren's definition is that it, it um, causes us to ask um, what's structuring, what's the top, you know, and what, um, whether or not they acknowledge themselves or whether it's the, the, uh, the technical artifact itself, which is enforcing some kind of consistency or, or um, you know, uh, 
nomenclature, someone had to create that and sort of embody certain perspective or values. And so I guess where I differ, I, I think it is still useful to go back to the original, um, I think it was Jeff Howe's definition that um, linked it to outsourcing because it kind of, kind of enables us to have a critical edge on it. And so then, um, so he, you know, the definition of outsourcing meaning um, taking work and having other people do it, and so having a crowd do it. So then the question is, I, I'm open to kind of a spectrum of work. And so one of the projects I presented, the work being asked is very minimal. It's really just a, a survey. And then all the way over to, to um, Darren's Next Stop Design Project, where it's a really elaborate kind of um, integrated design that you're asking to do. So I think that's what makes it so interesting and in you know, figure out where on that spectrum it, um, do you want to be and um, you know, what's appropriate for the context for the top and the bottom that you kind of have in mind. I think one of the things that really interests me about the use of the term crowdsourcing, the emergence of the term crowdsourcing, is the, is the way the technology creates a kind of invisibility about actors. Uh, and this probably is part of the struggle in your typology, Darren, where you have this someone directing and you have a bottom of, of users um, that we, we still create this phenomenon where we anonymize a lot of people, we make invisible. It's, it's a very different kind of situation from, um, okay, no one's an employee anymore, we're all contractors, uh, which is... Um, you know, what people have been arguing is the new kind of employment, the new labor structure, but the way that you don't know who the people are, the way you don't know who the people who are doing the work, but also the people requesting the work, it's all invisible, and there this illusion that the transparency, uh, the technology allows for this invisibility and transparency is linked with this invisibility. I think you're highlighting, a, I can think of some crowdsourcing projects or tools or methods which are really enforce and promote this kind of anonymity and invisibility of the crowd, but then um, it can be instantiated in ways that um, celebrate the identity of the crowd workers. And the winners of your, uh, of the Next Stop Design projects, you know, are named, you know who they are. Threadless winners are named. Yeah, yeah. The, but yeah. those are choices um, that carry political kind of ramifications, and so it, it, it maybe remo reminds us that's a really key thing when the public sector is using this this method of, you know, what values they want to be upholding. I think that that's a really interesting point. I also think, to add to what Darren said, very full circle, this degree of intentionality in contributing crowdsourced data is like, is very key to the definition of crowdsourcing. So that user, people who are contributing information are doing it to be a part of the project with this very intent need. So if they're creating shirts for Threadless, they're doing it to potentially win, but actually to have their design featured on the website or with the bus stop design. If they're contributing to OpenStreetMap, they're doing it with the intention of making their mark and being part of the bigger community of OpenStreetMappers or Wikipedians or whoever it is. Um, and that's quite a different category than people who are contributing to Facebook but aren't doing it with right. the intention to be part of the Facebook repository. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where we have to separate out uh, things like volunteer geographic information from crowdsourced data.
After Stevens concludes with her emphatic point about the intentionality of users defining what comprises crowdsourcing, I take you to a much later point in our conversation. In it, Sieber begins the group talking about malicious uses of volunteer geographic information. To the extent that in Monica and my niche of volunteer geographic information, or VGI, um, a lot of it is, can be passive um, as you're walking through a park and your phone is being pinged at regular intervals. Some of it may be coerced as a function of your um, job or a function of the app that you need to download onto your phone or in some cases uh, in work now people are required to contribute to certain platforms to you know like Stack Overflow as a condition of employment or internship. I mean, there was a while where the flashlight app, when you downloaded it for iPhone, one of the, the permissions was, is it okay if this app uses your location? Why does a flashlight need to know my location? Yeah. And so am I volunteering my geospatial information? Am I being part of their project? Well, it's not crowdsourcing, but it is a very, like, malicious use that often people will argue that's volunteered geographic information because they consented to having it used versus where you're actually crowdsourcing data like that. Yeah, there is that degree of intentionality is certainly yeah. certainly a question. And I'll still, I'll still kind of raise the, um, as someone who spent so much time defining, um, I really, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, in a sense, um, you know, it's like you can, you can bake a cake with sugar or honey or applesauce, depending on your dietary needs and calorie cutting. They all do the same thing, right? They all moisten the cake and kind of make it sweet. Um, so I think that's how I view these is... Mm -hmm. These are all just a set of tools and arrangements, and, and they, you can call them different things, but they kind of all, in practice, do similar things. Right. And they, they bring with them different different faults, right? I mean, some of them are raise all sorts of privacy concerns. Some will suppress participation because you're requiring people to disclose too much and opt into too much and answer surveys and whatever it might be. So there's trade-offs on every single one. Um, you know, if you had to ask for permission on every single thing, based on an app that you downloaded, nobody would ever use the apps because they'd have 12 consent screens to get through. You know, so it's, it's kind of a trade-off about what you're trying to accomplish versus its means and ends, right? I mean, when all this is making, so I'm thinking about it from the public sector point of view or the point of view of professionals, and I, I think it's just, it's uh, meaning that all these issues, it's raising a, a whole host of issues that in order to uh, realize the potential value here they have to think through and to really to answer those questions you need to kind of reflect on uh, participation theory the theory of, you know, of your practice of what the role of government is and so, so in, a, in a lot of ways um, you know that the surfacing these is only the beginning of the discussion because then we have to think through say you're a public sector agency is it ethical to just uh, take advantage of existing data which wasn't volunteered for this purpose use Twitter use other social media data to better understand your jurisdiction, or um, even though companies are doing that, does the public sector have a higher standard? You know, um, does that violate, you know, your uh, your norms of practice, your ethics of practice? And I, so I, I don't know anyone asking, answering those questions, but I think that's where we really need to go with this, because um, you know, my idea is you want tools that are used responsibly, and so what does responsibility mean when it comes to these needs? Yeah, but I want to build on that, Rob, and I'm going to push back on Darren's comment about 
<clears throat> it's okay if there's no definition. Okay. I largely yeah. agree with that. Uh, but I disagree because there are certain ideologies embedded in these tools mm -hmm. that are inextricable mm -hmm. and they're manifest in the way those are tools are sold. Mm -hmm. How are they sold? Government X will say, yes, crowdsourcing, great, because it's more democratic and we will right. hear from more people. Mm -hmm. Maybe we won't hear from the women because, the, mm -hmm. you know, so maybe there's a gendered component. Uh, Monica, you talked about an urban-rural divide in contributions. There is absolutely a libertarian ideology underscoring mm -hmm. both the way the tools are designed and the way the mm -hmm. tools are sold. Uh, any, we've made the interfaces so transparent that anyone can use them, and if they can't use them, well, there must be something wrong with you that you can't use this universal design tool. Uh, we, a lot of governments will sell crowdsourcing as a way to address budget constraints, definitely as a way to broaden participation. So I don't think we can just leave it as it's okay that we don't have a concrete definition and it's okay that we consider them tools as opposed to and to go all academic -y socio-technical processes, so they embed proper ways of thinking about the world. Well, that concludes our first GeoThink Conversations. I'm Drew Bush, and I hope you enjoyed listening in on our researchers' take on crowdsourcing. Stay tuned for news of next year's Summer Institute and more podcasts with our experts. GeoThoughts are brought to you by geothink.ca and generous funding from Canada's Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council.